Hello there and welcome to the Tunes from Dublin podcast, an Irish traditional music interview series presented by myself, Charles Mono, and featuring guests from County Clare and beyond who come and visit us here in Dublin. On each episode of the show, we are guided by tunes picked and played by our guests, and we talk about various topics related to traditional music, such as sources of inspiration, repertoire, style, memories, and much, much more. If you'd like to support this podcast and the Tunes from Doolin project in general, you can head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash tunesfromdoolin, where you can sign up and choose a support level that you can sustain. It doesn't have to be much. Even a cup of coffee per month really goes a long way. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support. Our guest for this episode is Mary McNamara, the great concertina player from East Clare, who recently launched her wonderful book, Sundays at Lena's. Hope you enjoyed the tunes in our chat with Mary, and make sure to stick around till the end to know more about Mary, her music, and the book. Enjoy. Beautiful, Mary. Brilliant, brilliant tunes. Thanks, Charles. Um, well, thank you and thanks for having us here uh, in your music room in Tala. Delighted to have you here at the music room. Yeah, how are you? 
I'm Grace. I'm Grace, and I'm looking forward to having a chat with you and sharing some tunes with you. Yeah, it's, it's a great honor. Uh, like I said in the intro, uh, you're a wonderful concertina player, and I'm really looking forward to talk about all the local history here of from East Clare. Um, I suppose the first tunes that you played there were uh, local tunes. Uh, very local, a set of jigs which I learned from the playing of Mikey Donahue. Um, who features in my book. Um, Mikey was a wonderful concertina player. He also played fiddle. Now, the man I'm talking about, Mikey, was born in 1888. And he was born in Glandreve, which is just above Tulla here, between Tulla and Fecal. And in 1927, he got married and moved to Bodike and was living beside Martin Rochford then. Okay. And he and Martin Rochford became great friends and played an awful lot of music together. So there are two jigs from his repertoire. And when I was doing the research for the book, we failed to find names for those jigs. So we'll just call them uh, Mickey Donahue's. Mikey's jigs, now. yes. Yeah, Mikey's. Mm. Um, the two jigs are in your new book, Sundays at Lina's, are they? They are. The two jigs are there. Yeah. Um, I, I was lucky enough to get my hand on the book there a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you, that's some amount of work you did there uh, for local music and just Irish music in general. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about how you decided to do it and, and the process behind it? Um, I suppose the whole thing has been a labour of love. Um, it's when we not, when I started playing music at about the age of 10, 9, 10 years of age. And when we were playing here in Tulla, there were very few young people playing. It was mostly the older generation playing. Um, we I started some lessons with Vincent Griffin, who was teaching here in the town of Tulla, and he taught all instruments. And we went to the old boys' school there up the hill, say, two nights a week, and learned lots of tunes. It was great. Um, my father had a great fondness for the music of Bill Malley and Joe Bann in particular, who lived in Glandry and Maharaban. Again, it's between here and Fecal in the mountain area. And um, they used to play regularly at Fecal, often on a Sunday morning and indeed during the week as well. So my father brought us to those sessions on a regular basis to listen yeah. To these musicians playing so we we came to know them very well and next thing we started playing with them and eventually they became part of our musical life yeah. and um we grew to love the music and, and did your parents uh, did they know at the time the how special these musicians were did they realize that there was something for you to learn from them or is it just that they happened to be there and they were the local musicians no my father knew Okay. He knew what he was doing and he was, I think he, you know, he had a great sight here when he, 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 he could hear what these musicians were playing. He could hear the beauty in their music. He knew it was very special and he knew that it would be very good for us to, to work with these musicians. And the good thing he did, which is the result of the book, is he recorded a huge amount of our time with these musicians, which were just sessions, basically. Mm -hmm. Gatherings in houses sometimes. Now, a lot of noise in the recordings was a poor tape recorder, tape recorder at the time, so the recordings weren't great. But they captured the music, they captured the atmosphere. And for us, when we got older and listening back to these recordings, it, it even reminded us further how special this music was and the people who yeah. played it. 
it's uh, I suppose I forgot to mention that the book actually comes with the CD with uh, yes. this 29 mm. tracks I believe 29 tracks yeah and they're all samples recordings. from each of the musicians um, the best we could get from the recordings and Matt Purcell and Dara Purcell did the best they could in cleaning them up and yeah. making them now there's lots of atmosphere in the music as you listen because you can hear the fire cracking you can hear people talking you can hear people drinking their yeah. pints um, you it, can hear more... people encouraging as I said to somebody the other day, you can nearly smell the smoke out of the fire. Yeah. It's very... I, I personally love these recordings because I yeah. think you get as much uh, from the the feeling, the atmosphere of the time when the music is yeah. played. It's, it's, mm. not, it's not only about the notes. It's it? not, no. Everything is in there. The whole yeah. lot is... The atmosphere being the biggest thing. Yeah. And um, obviously you always... Um, Talk about your parents bringing uh, you, plural, there. Is, mm. Was it yourself and your brother, Andrew? or did, did uh, My brother, Andrew, things? and my older brother, Peter, who has since passed away, and my sister, Anita. The four of us would go with my father and my mother each, most Sunday mornings. And very, my father had a van because he had a travelling shop. Yeah. And at the weekends, he'd empty all the food and that out of the van, and he had some nice armchairs and benches that he made and he'd pack us all into the van and he'd pick Joe Ban up and Bill Malley on the way to Fecal. Mm -hmm. So there was a whole ritual involved in getting there and having the tunes and coming back. Um, so it was a day long, yeah. event, really, you know. It, it's fabulous. And I can imagine you, as you were saying, you were around 10, 11 years old yes. at the time. Mm -hmm. So I suppose, was that early 70s or? It was, we would start about 1970. Yeah. We started going to these sessions. And, and how old were the lads, we call them uh, well, at the time? Well, you see, I said this in the book, I thought they were ancient, but sure, yeah. I think... Um, Bill was probably only um, 62 or 3 and Bill might have been or and Joe was probably about 59 you but know. of course for so, you for you as oh, kids uh, we were, they uh, were very old men to us yeah, yeah. I think it's really um, this kind of relationship it, it's part of the essence of traditional music uh, for me coming from another country that mix of generation that yeah. intergenerational mm. aspect of it is essential it, like it's really what makes it so special in many ways so to to hear and i'm hoping we'll hear some other stories from when you were growing up and learning from these musicians but um the fact that you have taken the time as a labor of love like you were saying to mm. put it all together in a book is really uh remarkable so uh, thank you for doing all that work thank you um one thing that i wanted to ask you is how come um, so we'll talk about other musicians that are in the book, but Joe Ban and Bill Malley are together in a chapter. Mm -hmm. So were they really just always together as people when they were playing or what's the reason? I love that question now because you see, when I started doing the book, um, I started thinking about them all individually. I started to write about them all individually and I just said to myself one day, I can't write about Bill and Joe apart they were always together we always met them together they always played together and um so they became the first chapter naturally i just couldn't separate them and their music is very um connected in that as i said they always played together and i think the two of them in particular had a very big impact on us as young children growing up uh -huh. and the fact that i think that they traveled in the van with us as well and so we got to know them very well so it was always 
Bill and Joe, Joe and Bill. Okay. She's never one without the other. Yeah, yeah. that that explains mm. the, the common chapter. I think so, yeah. I think they just fell naturally together uh-huh. into that chapter. And so Joe played the whistle, wasn't it? Joe played whistle and flute. And flute, okay. Yes. And uh, Bill was playing the fiddle. Fiddle, that right? yes. Yeah. Great. Um, before we go on to maybe talking about other people in the book... Um, would you like to play another set of tunes for us, maybe? Okay. Um, well, uh, Martin Rochford was uh, another person that I've written about in the book. Uh, Martin was a fiddle player and a piper who came from Bodike. And he had a huge impact on music. So I'm going to play a tune from Martin. It's a reel called The Old Bush. Uh, it's his version of it. And I'll follow that with a swallow's tail. Okay, great. Great. <laughs> Mary, brilliant. Um, 
there's such different versions, like the old Bush mm-hmm. is it's, it's another tune almost. Like you really yeah. recognize the mm-hmm. tune, especially the start, but uh, I'm fascinated by these versions. And what was the second tune again? Uh, the Swallow's Tail. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's debatable. Some people tell me it might be something else, but um, Mikey called it The Swallow's Tail. Okay. So um, I'm hoping it is. Yeah, it did remind me a little bit of the Pigeon on the Gate. Oh, okay. Yeah, bit. somebody else said that to me the other yeah. day, yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, if mm. Martin called it the Swallow's Tale, you have to... Uh... Well, I found um, when I was doing the research for this, and, and, and it was all about listening back to the recordings that my father made, which were in a drawer for 30, 40, 40 years. And every now and again, I'd open this drawer and say, "And one day I'm going to transcribe this music. Because we brought away a lot of the tunes with us when we got older and kept playing them. Mm-hmm. But they do change. You do forget them. You know, and you need to go back and listen. And when I went back and listened to the a lot of the recordings, as when I when I was doing the book, certainly I would say they probably got some of the tunes a little bit mixed up here and there because everybody was learning by ear and mm-hmm. people were bringing home tunes. And if they forgot something, they kind of had to make up their own little bit, you know, yeah. add in a bit here and there. So it's quite possible that I think some of the tunes might have got a little bit that's how versions um, come yeah, about, exactly, I, I'm you know. assuming. Because mm, like, yeah. it's not mm. like, you know, these days between TunePal and the internet and everything. Exactly, yeah. Everything mm. at hand. Yeah. It was completely different back then. Um, so those were for Martin Rochford. How? What was your relation to him? Um, how did you get to know him? Well, my relationship with Martin Rochford was somewhat different. In Martin could read and write music. So he had a very um he had a very different approach to the music like he played music very similar similar to the way Bill and Martin played because he was very very stylish and he played a lot of the music from East Clare but he had um he had great interest in putting variations into the tunes he was a much more traveled musician than the other local musicians were he did travel outside a lot of musicians came in to meet Martin as well he was very well known and um, so I think he had quite a broad knowledge of music outside of East Clare area. Mm-hmm. So he loved to, um, when he'd be teaching me a tune, he would like to teach me the tune two or three different ways. Okay. And that he was very, he was very keen on that. And um, he would always write the tune out for me and he would write it in notation. And he would um, write in all the different variations. Okay. How old were um, you at the time? How old was I at the time? I would have been 14 to 16 Uh when I was learning from Martin. Um, And at that time, I had, um, I'd got my hands on a Wheatstone concertina. Like before that, I didn't have a good concertina. So this was a great opportunity working with with Martin. And Martin had a great respect for the concertina. He didn't play concertina himself, but he liked it. And he was a very good friend of Connie Hogan, who was a very famous concertina player from East Galway, mm-hmm. and who used to come down to the Black Sticks to play with Martin. So um, Martin took a great interest in me as a concertina player, and he taught me lots and lots of tunes. And of course, he used to love writing them out for me because he felt that if you wrote them out, wrote in the variations and that, then I must learn them the way they were. And when I'd meet him again, of course, he would always check, check. that yeah, I yeah. got it right. Yeah, um, yeah. that preservation aspect, it was probably already strong for him, apparently, yeah. to make sure that mm. this music was passed on. Um, 
were there many other young musicians um, when you were growing up no. in the area? No, not really. Not in this area. Uh-huh. There was about 10 of us. Yeah. And Martin Hayes would have been one of those. Yeah. Um, but we were a very united group of young people and we all used to play together and we had a band, we had a group. And um, again, we were all influenced by the local by the local musicians. And I think we were unique in our playing and unique in our band playing and our group, cl- group playing as a result of that. Do, do you think uh, you were sort of like the last generation that was sort of you didn't get as much influence from the outside world and your local community musically speaking it was still not Mm -hmm. the music wasn't traveling as much as it did after your generation maybe very much so i think Mm -hmm. we were very dependent on what was here Mm -hmm. um as you said we didn't have much outside influence now my mother was my mother came from ennis my father came from East Clare, my mother came from Ennis, and my mother came from a very musical family in Ennis, and she grew up knowing a lot of musicians like Seamus Ennis, um, uh, Tommy Peoples, all those kind of people, mm-hmm. um, Paddy O'Brien. There was always musicians coming through her house in Ennis, and she was listening to music all the time. All her brothers played music, played accordions. She herself played piano but she was also a step dancer but she was a woman that the music she was extremely musical and everything went into her head and she was a great singer and a great titler she had every tune and here when we were kids she taught us a lot of the music that we hadn't learned from the locals here she would she would have taught us a huge amount of music through her titling yeah and And she was very accurate about that it it, i was i actually took note because i I just had to quick look at your website there uh before coming up here and you wrote uh, about your mother that her her discernment in music was unquestionable Unquestionable. i I really Mm. wanted to know where that came from so she didn't play herself but she didn't know but i'll tell you she nothing passed she could often often would we'd be upstairs practicing and she'd shout up the stairs you could be playing a tune that was probably should have had an F natural in one of the bars and she would didle it up the stairs <laughs> and she would drop the note beautifully in her didling. Yeah. You have it wrong. This is what's missing. And the fact that she was a step dancer, I think, um, it was all very connected. Um, she would sit with you in the kitchen when she'd be teaching you a tune and she used to dance the steps as she was sitting on the chair as well as didling mm-hmm. and you were learning. So it was actually a lovely way to learn the music. And probably had strong impact on your rhythm. Oh, huge, yeah. yeah because yeah. we were just mm-hmm. talking about uh, our feet just before we started recording this, how uh, important your yeah. foot tapping is. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit about uh, My that? feet are very important to me. I couldn't do without my feet when I'm playing. I, I have been had bad experiences in studio. Over the years where mats are put under your feet and um, you're taking off shoes and taking off socks and try, and I find it very hard to play without my feet. I also like the sound. I don't like too much noise. Mm-hmm. I think it's important not to have too much noise. But for me, the response from my feet means I can get my rhythm into the concertina. I just couldn't do it yeah. without it. And I think that was probably the way I learned. The older players we learned from their foot tap was almost like an accompaniment yes. to their music. And if you listen to the recordings, 
some of the foot tapping it's almost like a baron player yeah. there, there is so yes. much going on now it's it's sensitive it's lovely it's not intrusive in the music but it's it certainly adds a huge amount to the music and i think we learned that very very naturally i didn't know i had that foot tap thing until people started talking to me about it when i started going out into the open world okay yeah that is it's very interesting because um like you were saying in all the recordings and especially it, it's both on the beat and on the offbeat yes which is yeah. something that mm, yeah these days not as many people do it uh to do with the lift of the music yeah. the swing does it, it enhances the music yeah hugely so we, we've talked about um joe ban about bill malley martin rothford And the first few tunes you played were from uh, Mikey Donahue. Yeah. And are we missing anyone that's in the book? Um, we are. John you... Nocton and Paddy Grogan. Yeah. I believe John Nocton was a major influence on your playing, on He the Constina specifically. <laughs> He was, yeah. Uh, John, um, John probably I would have known the best of all of them as a friend because when I went to live in Dublin, John had moved to Dublin. John was born in, in Kilcarn, just outside Fecal, and um, he was a concertina player, but he also played single row melodion. So I would have met him through my younger years at the sessions in Fecal. Mm -hmm. And in 1968, when I was nine, he moved to Dublin with his family. I think it's probably about eight children. And his wife was actually from Dublin. She was from okay. Reno. So... Why they went to Dublin, I'm not really sure, but they went to Dublin possibly to do with his wife wanting to go back and live there. So I then moved to Dublin in 1978 to okay. work and study in Dublin in 1970. So I left home. As a very young adult. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, John was still coming up and down. He used to come at the weekends. The, the whole family would come and there'd be lots of music and that. So when I went to live in Dublin then, I got to know John in another capacity altogether. Uh -huh. We were both out of our comfort zones, you yes. could say. Um, John was still playing his concertina. He was hugely involved in the GEA in Dublin. He worked in Croke Park as a... What was he doing? He was working, in the, he was working at the mattress, you know, probably yeah. taking money and that. Um, he also worked in the GPO a supporter and he was very very well known in the whole of Dublin particularly through the Coltus Forum as a musician and he played a lot he was out most nights of the week uh -huh. playing so he made contact with me immediately when I went to live in Dublin and we built up another friendship which was kind of a Dublin friendship and yeah. we went off and played lots of music together and I loved his music his his playing had a big big impact on my playing uh -huh. He had a great energy in his music. He had a lovely simplicity in his music. But whatever he had, he had that ability to just turn a whole room upside down when he'd start to chill. Yeah. It didn't matter who was there, whether they knew anything about music or they did know anything about music. Everybody got involved. Everybody was electrified by what John did. And it was simple, but he had something very, very special in his rhythm. Yeah, charismatic. Yes, yeah. And I'm, I suppose it was both in his music and... In him as a person? As a person, yes, yeah. as well, yeah. Mm. And how long did you stay in Dublin and had that friendship with John there? I stayed in Dublin for 18 years, long time. which was a long time. And during that time, it was a fantastic time in Dublin because for me, when I went to Dublin, I 
I was a, a very raw musician in that I only knew what I knew from here. Mm-hmm. As we were saying yeah. earlier, mm. you didn't have as I much influence know. from outside I of the no locality. Outside, no outside influence at all. So t- t- tell us, like, what was it like <laughs> to land in Dublin in the uh, 78, you were saying? I yeah, mean, that's, at the yeah. time, it was yeah. all, the, all the big bands were... Yes, it was. The body band were after taking off at the time. And um, music, music in Dublin was... It was great. It was alive. It was big. I arrived at my concertina full of myself. I said, this is going to be great for me. I'm arriving in Dublin as a musician. And I said, I'm just going to have a great time. I think I got the biggest shock of my life. I went to the first session I went to was in the Cultural in Monkstown, which is the headquarters of Cultus. <laughs> and I took out my concertina and I sat down and joined in at the session. I wasn't able to play one tune. And the tune that you would play, nobody else would know, I would assume. No, they wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. Now, everybody was very nice to me. And I played a couple of solos on the night, but I realized, I've got to go and um, have a look at music again. Yeah. And my brother, who um, has, as I said earlier, has since died, PJ, he was a lovely accordion player. And he was living, he had gone to Dublin two years ahead of me. He was studying in Dublin. And we went back to the flat that night and Peter said, you know, Mary, you're just going to have to um, take another look at it. And um, we actually went into town the following morning for Saturday, Saturday and went into McCullough Pickets and we bought O'Neill's 1001. Yes. Came home and started studying Go through. the tunes yeah. that I didn't know. And bit by bit, I picked it up and I became a big part of the music in Dublin right throughout the city. Uh-huh. I made friends right throughout and I learned all kinds of tunes I learned I started dabbling in different styles and doing all sorts of things like that but I was always drawn back to my own style and if I ever was to perform at anything in Dublin I did on many occasions I always did my own thing yeah and throughout that time was John in Dublin did he help you with the tunes, like you were saying. Oh, or... yeah. Well, well, every time John and I met, we'd play together. Um, I, I mean, John, like, was what we'd call a single row player. He played the C row yes. on a CG concertina. That's what he played, which is what I would have played as well, as what I would have known when I was living here. Yeah. So when we'd meet, we used to play lots of tunes together. Yeah, and for people who maybe don't play the concertina, that means that most of your tunes would have been in C, let's say, as yeah. opposed to D, which was the main... Absolutely. Um, yeah. Which was my big problem when I went to Dublin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then when did you come back? Um, I, well, I, as I said, I stayed in Dublin for 18 years. And during that time, I, I started out my career in life as a nurse. And um, that unfortunately fell through because my brother, PJ, who was living with me at the time, was struck down with cancer and he died. And so I changed my, I was supposed to go to England to finish my degree mm-hmm. and I just changed my direction in life. So I started focusing on music. Um, I got a job in Monkstown at the headquarters of Coltus and I worked there for five years and it was five wonderful years. Mm-hmm. I then, I was teaching music a little bit all along in between, mm-hmm. you know, here and there. And um, then I got an opportunity with the VEC to teach at St. Joseph's School for Visually Impaired Boys in Drumcondra. Okay. And I worked there for 10 years and no university would give you what I learned I was in that to say, school. That it sounds like... It was absolutely fantastic. I started working with these visually impaired. Some of them were totally blind children. Some of them had hearing impairments. 
they were from all over the country because it was a boarding school and I, I was their Irish music teacher and I had the most wonderful 10 years with those boys yeah. and I still am in contact with some of them. That, that's amazing. I can only imagine because um, the importance of music um, for visually impaired. Oh. Like we know of so many mm. blind musicians mm. and all that. So uh, I can imagine that teaching them must have been a very rewarding experience. Very rewarding. I, I felt I was learning from them all the time. Mm. I was teaching them. I taught them the music. I taught them lovely tunes. I just felt I was gaining from them all the time. And I, it gave me such a respect for what we have in life, um, an appreciation. It was an experience that I think I will never forget about. I often think about it. And playing with these musicians, I used to play with them and I used to take them out and we went to Slogan, we went to Flas, we did concerts, you know, it nothing not stopped. not only teaching music. No, nothing stopped us. We did everything um, and they enjoyed it and the friendships were just amazing. We had a reunion there about six or seven years ago and I, I think I spent the weekend crying oh. I just you know I just met up with so many of them and they're all uh, such beautiful people and a lot of them have since gone on to be wonderful uh, people uh, you know third level education some of them are uh-huh. very very uh, successful now married with their own families and but have still remember um, those days in St. Joseph's yeah it, it's See, it doesn't actually surprise me to hear your experiences as a teacher because you're very sought after as a as as a teacher. Like you've a, a fantastic reputation for being a great teacher. Thank you. So well, these... I think I learned a lot there. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, then I got married and I had my first child was born in 1993 in Dublin. And I was really living the life in Dublin. I loved it. Mm. And I still love Dublin and I love going back to Dublin. But we decided to move down here to County Clare, to where we are at the moment, back home. That's going to be a perfect transition for maybe if you would like to play another tune. And then we can talk about coming back here and um, what life had in store for you over this side. Okay. Um, So this time we'll move to Bill Malley. Back to Bill. Bill, as you know, was a fiddle player and Bill was the most amazing fiddle player because I would describe him as careless and reckless in a lot of ways <laughs> in what he did. But the beauty he had in his music is just, I've never heard it in anybody's music. Okay. He he was a he was a man for dancing. You had to get up and dance to his music. And he had beautiful dancing bow hand. So these are horn pipes. The first one is Gone Adam because we can't find a name for it. We call it Bill Malley's horn pipe. And the second one is the Cuckoo's Nest. As Bill plays them. Thank you. 
This is absolutely brilliant. Thank I, you. Um, I love those versions and like just saying it to uh, the people listening to the podcast again, that's all in Mary's book, uh, Sundays at Lena's, the transcriptions of those tunes. Um, it just gives them another uh, life. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's lovely. Um, it's, I'm so happy I took those tapes out of the drawer. Yeah. You know, because um, it has given it a new life. It has brought it back into the system again. And um, I'd love to hear some people playing some of those versions again. Yeah, I, I already nice. know. I already, I know I'm going to learn some. And I know some people who will actually. Uh, my friend Alan Reid has already done his... Uh, I don't know if you saw that. He does a, a tune book Tuesday. He posted tunes every Tuesday oh, yeah. hmm. from different tune books. So last week he did already a tune from oh, uh, Mikey Donahue. <laughs> um, so I'm sure, yeah, these tunes yeah. will be played. Uh, we were just talking about your time in Dublin before you moved back to Clare. Mm. Um, it seems to be more or less when did you decide to focus on music at that time? Because I think your first album... Uh, solo album music from East Clare was around that time, 94? 94, exactly, yeah. Um, did I decide to focus on my own style? Or music in general? Oh, well, music were, in general. You were, you were, music I in know general. you were teaching when you were yeah. in Dublin. But. I was teaching, yeah. At that st- now, at this point, I had decided, okay, music is going to be my life. Yeah. I had that, I did make that decision. Um, I, before I moved back, I made that recording Irish traditional music from East Clare and I made that with Clada. Clada okay. actually approached me to make the recording, which was um, nice. I had no intention of ever making a recording, to be quite honest, honest with you. But they did approach me and um, it was a lovely experience because it was my first experience at making recording, to be quite honest with you. And of course, like they'd said to me, you can bring some guests on the album with you. And um, of course, immediately Martin Hayes and Pete yes. Joe. They, you know, they were the first two people that I thought of because I played so much music with them. And Martin and I were duet partners for years. Because so you were you know, growing up at the same, same time with Martin. I, I know from reading mm. Martin's book, who's also a great book that yeah. was published recently, uh, you played together as teenagers. Teenagers, yes. And then when you moved to Dublin, did you manage to um, continue to play together? We sometimes? played a little bit, as much as we could, but Martin moved to the States. So mm-hmm. um, it wasn't obviously feasible. Um, we did do a network tour of Ireland in about, oh, was it 2000 maybe or 2001 or two? I can't remember. Um but apart from that, it's just been a little bit here and there, a concert uh-huh. here and there, you know. But every time you meet up, it, yeah, it works. Yeah, we, we can play. Yeah, do you know what? We don't even have to practice. Yeah. Just sit down and do it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, so when I made that recording in in Clada, it was lovely because um, I did. I went in first and did all the solo work in Clada. And um, Martin and P. Joe came up for two days to do their recordings with me and um, it was a lovely lovely time they stayed with me at the time I was living out in Ashburn and they stayed the two days and it was lovely in the studio because um, I think the the guys in the recording desk were kind of um, a little bit taken aback with our our um, our way of doing things and uh-huh. we were a little bit relaxed I suppose about things and uh, there was the conversations in between the tunes and the recordings and that whereas you might be 
a little bit more uh, organized yeah, nowadays yeah. you wouldn't wouldn't be taking it so easy but, but it worked out fine and it was a great cd and it was actually voted um album of the year that yeah, year irish times wasn't irish it? times yeah yeah so, that, that, that's that's a big mm. deal that's probably uh the biggest uh, i couldn't believe it recognition when it happened, you can yeah. get yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Um, mm. and it's great to obviously the clada knew that there was that your music was being so different from what was in Dublin in yeah, general. I was uh, shocked was when they asked me. Yeah, I was shocked when they asked me because yeah. I was kind of saying, are you sure you want me to record? And they're saying, yeah, yeah we want style. And, and you know, I think the the reason why, I was actually listening to the album on my way down from Dublin. I put it, in, put it on in the car. I hadn't listened to it maybe in a year or something. And there's that relaxed vibe that you describe yeah. in the chats you were having in the yeah. studio. Mm. It comes through so much like it's really just there you are mm, uh, mm. yeah uh, mm. i really love that uh, so congratulations to Thank how many how many years is that uh, uh 29 yeah <laughs> i'm going by the age of my son because i was pregnant in portic at the time so almost 29 years yeah yeah, mm. yeah. um so yeah then you came back to claire and yeah came back to claire in uh then my daughter was born uh, that was 95, I think she was born. Um, we decided, we made the decision to move back to Clare. And I think at the time, some of, a lot of our friends, there were a lot of what we call country people living in Dublin at the time who were all around my own age group who went up to Dublin to study, to work mm-hmm. after leaving school. And there was um, such a gathering of people in Dublin at the time from all over the country. And I noticed that people were beginning to go back to their own counties and um one person who had spent a lot of time playing with was brendan begley mm-hmm. and he moved back to kerry with his family and kevin and i decided then yeah okay we're yeah we're going back time to go and home. we we came back here in 1995 i decided when i was here i said okay right i'm going to start teaching and i started teaching and it went from strength to strength yeah. and um the music now in East Clare is just so strong. So, so strong. Yeah. There there will never be any fear of it again. Yeah, yeah, which is such a great thing to hear. Like, cause, I yeah. mean, mm. uh, it's only, yeah, like that That's 25 20, years 26 ago. 26 years yeah. now. And um, I have students who are now teaching themselves. And yeah. a whole grow has developed again for the music mm. and respect I, I mean, it's so obvious because there was uh, even I organized some concerts there in June, and you played that one. So obviously, your daughter Sarka was oh, playing, yes. but yeah. there was also Lily O'Connor and Rosa Carroll yeah. played, and like yeah, like you said, there's no fear, no fear. Um, All students in Clare in general, mm, in East yeah. Clare mm, in particular, mm. um, which is yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, there was one thing I wanted to ask you about because there's an album that you recorded that I've always loved, and I can feel. The connection with the book is the album you did with your brother Andrew, Open Heart, because it it has all these versions of tunes. Yeah. Is there a link between the two albums? Was it? There is a total link between the album and the book. Okay. And when we made that album, um, that was Andrew's um, creation. That whole album, because I mean, Andrew and I all of our lives have played the music from this area and the music that's in the book that I've put mm-hmm. together and the music that's in that sea open heart. Anytime we play at a concert or perform anywhere, that's that's what we play. And Andrew at the time asked me 
will you make this album with me? And again, we went, opened the drawer and took out the tapes. And okay. we played from those tapes so on that album. The that's, source that's, is actually that's it, those yeah. recordings. And the plan was to go ahead and do another album after that because there's so much stuff there. And the plan at the time, I said to Andrew, and I am going to do a book. Mm. But it took me over 20 years to get the time yeah. to do the book because I was too busy teaching and... And it's a huge amount of work. Massive. Like, uh, Massive, yeah. Mm. I don't know if people realize, how many tunes are in the book? I think it's 153 tunes. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. the transcriptions, mm. the, yeah. like from the recordings that mm. were not always of the best quality, that oh, takes no, so much time. And then mm. I suppose sometimes you have to make decisions. Yeah. As we know, transcribing Irish music is not always... Mm. Uh, were they actually, yeah, it's not straightforward. Mm-hmm. Were there times where you were actually sort of stuck? And... Oh, very stuck at times. And, and it, uh, Andrew, my brother Andrew, was a great help to me because he's he's got a fantastic ear and he has a great memory of a lot of the tunes as well. And sometimes uh, if I got stuck, I'd get him to listen. And while both of us would not be able to make out what was there, um, he'd say, well, I know it was this. This is what they played. He mm-hmm. would, He would remember it. And in some cases, that had to happen, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming uh, uh, some other people were involved. Obviously, yourself, Andrew, you just mentioned your father through recording. Yes. Making those recordings. Uh, any other people that um, were involved in the process? Of the book? Yeah. Putting the bo- oh, yeah. Well, I had a lot of, of help doing the book. Um, I suppose... The, the the person that encouraged me to get the book going was I have a lot of students from all over the world that come here to me on for a week at a time or maybe uh-huh. a month at a time to study East Clare music. So it's popular. And I had one friend in particular, um, Stefan Pochalski. He's Polish originally, but he was living in Switzerland and um, he's now back living in America. So he wanted to study John Nocton. And he, he was coming here to study John Nocton. I think I remember you mentioned him when yeah. I had the master class with you yes. in college. Uh, yeah. And so he helped with transcribing the John Nocton students. Well, what or? he did was he, he encouraged me to get the whole thing going. Um, Fantastic. He was here. Um, he was coming regularly. You know, he was coming three, four times a year from Switzerland um, to learn about John Nocton, to learn the, his tunes. <laughs> Amazing. And I was teaching him the uh, the tunes. And um, one day he says to me, "I but Mary, I need more, I need more. And I said, do you know, I'm very busy. And I opened the drawer beside me where I have these tapes. I said, there's John Nocton. Will you take him home and have a listen? And he came back and he had transcribed some of the tunes uh, and he was playing. And now to hear this man playing, you'd say it was John Nocton. He has studied him so, so, so well. I said, OK, Stefan, now that you've started doing that, I said, I'm going to keep this drawer open and I'm going to take out the rest of the recordings and I'm going to start transcribing myself. Now, I don't I didn't have the technology on my computer to do a lot of things. So he mm-hmm. did a lot of the laying out of that kind of work for yes. me he did a lot of transcribing as well and he actually listened to some of the very um difficult stuff where it was very noisy and um very hard to make out some of the melody mm-hmm. so he did he did a bit of that as well he was a great help to me huge help uh, it's great great to hear that it's a lovely backstory actually of how things came around yeah uh, well, for him, it was the passion. Like yeah. he just he and to, you know he's he's coming over here in October now. We have a celebration on the fifteenth of October of the book 
in Lena's in Fecal, which is now Shorts. Yeah. And he's going to be there on the night. And I'm actually going to get him to play for the people. And close your eyes and you're going to say, that's John Nocton yeah. playing. Nice. So he just studied John Nocton so much. When it came to the fiddle music, I always wanted to get in. Apart from, I transcribed the stuff myself, but... I wasn't happy that I was able to do the bowing and the double stops and yes. all that kind of thing. So um, I had a friend in Galway, George Grasso, who's from California, and he's an absolute expert when it comes to this work. And he's, again, another person who's very passionate about music and loved listening to the stuff. So I said, would you take on doing this for me? So he took on the tapes of Bill Malley and Martin Rochford. And he did his own transcription and he just wrote in exactly what they're doing with their bows, which I think is very important because that tells you the style. Yes. You know, really. So, so he was involved in that. And, um, David Taylor did tune research titles, you know, tune title research Uh for me. And David and I have worked together for years. He's done all the artwork for my CDs and, um, research in general so he did tune title research for me and um of course i'd met personal working on the cd recordings yeah, and you that kind of thing and um my own husband was a big help to me and my daughter and my son from a tech helping me with computer work which mm. i'm not very good at yeah, yeah so there was loads of loads of help in there that yeah. is really such a fantastic mm. uh, project. Uh, I suppose it's very important to tell where people can get the book these days if they want to order yeah. a copy. Well, it's available at Custis in Ennis. Um, it's available here for me. You can go on my website and order it through the website. And it's just Mary McNamara dot whatever com or net. I don't know what it is. Uh, what we'll do anyway, we'll put in the description of the show, there'll <laughs> yeah. be all the links to yeah. where people can order the, the book. Yeah. Uh, like, I really encourage people to get it because it's beautiful, beautiful work. Um, before we wrap up, um, I always like to ask people if they have any, con- their connection with Doolin. I came down from Doolin and I believe you had uh you had some uh, story with Michael Russell. Um, he, I believe he really liked your playing. Yeah. Michael and I were great friends. And um, I visited him in Doolan on a number of occasions. But I also met him outside of Doolan in various places. One time in Lorient at the, at the Pan-Celtic Festival, uh, which was a very interesting week um Michael was a big name he was a he was a star in in Irish music people loved him um particularly that week I remember him saying to me Mary will you sit beside me at the table I want someone to talk to and so I had that lovely relationship and friendship with him and I loved to play tunes with him and we had another wonderful weekend down in Coulee but Padre Orida himself and Tony McMahon. I think a weekend that we will never forget because the music and the stories that weekend, very, very special. Earlo Leonard was there the same the same weekend. Uh, Michael was a wonderful character and always told great stories and he was so entertaining. What good company. And would you have known some of the musicians that are in the book? Would he have known? Yeah, because Um, at at the time there wasn't as much travelling. You see, there wouldn't have been much travelling. 
he would have been aware of them, I'd say. Mm-hmm. You know, probably wouldn't have met them that often. Would certainly have met Martin Rochford, I would say, because Martin travelled. Yes. Martin, yeah. Martin was a great friend of Junior Crehan's. They used to meet each other. Junior used to come here to East Clare and Martin used to go back to him and Mullock. The, the reason I'm asking this is I just find fascinating how rich the pool of great traditional musicians in Clare is. Yeah. And at the same time, how different I the know. styles yeah. were mm. from here. Then you had, like mm. you say, Ina, then you had West Clare, mm. then you had North Clare. Like it's, it's yeah, it's quite amazing when now it's just mm. take the car down in an hour yeah. uh, before it was a mm. big deal yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. Um, but Mary thanks again so much for well welcoming us here in Tulla it was lovely to have you Charles yeah she, um, thank you for the book the all the Great. work that's going yeah. to be uh, useful to so many of us and um, we play a tune before uh, yeah. we go great yeah great um, thank you Mary and uh, see you again soon Thank you very much, Charles. Great having you here. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks again so much to Mary McNamara for coming on the show. If you'd like to keep up with Mary and her music, make sure to visit her website, marymcnamara.net and you can also order her new book, Sundays at Lena's, and her CDs from Costi's Music Shop in Ennis. All the links are in the description. Thank you again so much for listening to the Tunes from Julian podcast and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. It would be very helpful if you could tell your friends about the show too, share it on social media, and feel free to visit the Patreon page if you'd like to support. If you'd like to know more about the Tunes from Julian project, you can check out the website and YouTube channel. You can also email me at tunesfromdulin at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and see you at the next episode.